Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Sustainable Investing Perspectives on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Uh, joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable and Impact Investing Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, as well as Michelle Dunstan of Alliance Bernstein. Michelle is the firm's Chief Responsibility Officer and a returning guest here on the podcast. So, Michelle Amatia, it's great to be with you both. Thank you for spending some time with our clients, our listeners, and looking forward to the conversation. I know we have a lot to get to, so we'll jump right into it. And Michelle, as a starting point, I know a lot is in the news recently on sustainability, and in particular, we're seeing this question of what is a, quote, sustainable company or a sustainable investing portfolio come up a lot. So, Michelle, can you walk us through how you think of sustainability and how you know whether a company is sustainable or not. Yeah, and Dan, thanks so much for inviting me here today to talk about this topic. So first of all, there is no universal standard or precise definition of sustainability. In a broad sense, it refers to the ability to meet our own needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. And this spans multiple dimensions, economic viability and biological protection and social equality. A lot of people focus only on the climate change and environmental sustainability, but it is much broader than that. You can also look at a couple of things. One is the company or potential investment based on the products or services they offer. Are they sustainable or do they enable the sustainability of others? And the second way to look at it is how does the company actually behave? Are their processes sustainable? So, for instance, picture a company that, say, produces video games that has amazing diversity, equity, and inclusion practices or zero waste and zero emissions products. Or the reverse, a company that produces solar panels but uses forced and unethical labor and incorporates minerals that are unsustainably mined. Whatever your definition is, it's best to be transparent about how you think about sustainable investing. And from an investment perspective, sustainability is an engine for growth and one of the most powerful secular growth drivers in the world today. Solving the world's sustainability challenges is not only good for the planet, but it's also a good investment opportunity. AB's approach to sustainability is based on the UN Strategic Development Goals, or SDGs. The SDGs are a set of 17 goals or principles, which represent a blueprint for peace, prosperity for people on the planet and into the future, now and into the future. And they span concepts such as no poverty, zero hunger, and affordable clean energy, and reduced inequality. The way we approach this is by focusing on the three themes of climate, health, and empowerment, and the SDGs that are related to these themes. We look at the companies and issuers and their products and services that help address these issues related to these particular SDGs. So running with these considerations a bit further, Amantia, it actually ties into the recent Sustainable Investing Perspectives publication where you looked at Tesla's exclusion from the S&P 500 ESG index as an example to help investors evaluate SI strategies and whether they meet their criteria. So Amantia, can you walk us through some of those key questions? Of course. Thank you, Dan, and great to join you and, and great to speak with you again, Michelle, as well. Um, so, look to right. Um, in, in May, uh, the S&P 500 ESG index um, rebalanced um, as it frequently does. And in this recent um, update, uh, Tesla was removed from the index, uh, which caused a lot of conversation um, broadly across the traditional news media as well as social media on this question that you started with. What is a quote-unquote 
sustainable company. So in our view, and here's where I would agree in and echo with what Michelle just said, there's no one single definition of sustainability. And in particular, as we think of how it applies to investment strategies, what is most important in our view is for the investor to have clarity for themselves on what their own objectives are, what their own definition of sustainability is. Now, it goes a little bit beyond that as well. So we looked at this Tesla and S&P 500 ESG index really as just one example, purely anecdotal, to think more strategically, zoom out here and say, well, what are the types of questions that you would ask uh, or you would want to consider if you are interested in, in understanding uh, whether a investment strategy meets your own definitions of sustainability. In other words, if it's the one for you. And again, Michelle noted that, and then she talks about the UN Sustainable Development Goals as one framework, one way to think about sustainability. So we've come up with um, three questions, which are kind of top of mind, high level questions to, to, to consider. The first one is that um, it's important to understand what is the objective of the investment strategy, or you know, in, in the case of this S&P 500 um, ESG index, what's the objective of the index? And here, um, this is the starting point where you can have divergence in objectives. Um, in the particular case of the S&P ESG 500 index, the objective for the index is to maximize or optimize the ESG environmental, social, and governance operational score that the, the benchmark uh, overall has by selecting companies that have better ESG scores than their peers in their specific industry. So in other words, this particular strategy is looking to uh, identify those companies that are better than their peers, this best-in-class approach. And within that objective, uh, and using their own scoring methodology, they determined that Tesla's score was in the bottom quartile of its sector, specifically compared to automobiles and, uh, and, and an automobile components. Now, what's interesting here to think about is, again, uh, kind of what's the objective? The objective is this maximization of the ESG score. And now, the second question that we would want to ask is, all right, well, given your objective, how do you assess sustainability performance? And to put it most broadly, one way to think about sustainability performance is by looking at the products and services that a company uh, is deriving revenue from. And another way to think about it is by looking at the operational um, sustainability of a company. So, and again, Michelle, at the top of the call, we mentioned a couple of these. Um, you can look at how a company is, is sourcing minerals that, that are going to be used for the production of cars electric vehicles, um, or you could look at the resulting pollution that is involved in that, um, in, in that activity. Um, this approach, this methodology, will have different resulting portfolios. And so coming back to this example of the Tesla and of the specific index, in this case, the index is not looking at whether the products and services are aligned to the UN SDGs, for example. It's just simply looking at how the company is disclosing and managing on these uh, operational elements. And now the third one, and this is where you can really get into depth <laughs> uh, and multiple rabbit holes of, of methodologies, is to try to understand, uh, given the specific approach, operational products and services, or maybe a mix, 
then what does the scoring methodology actually evaluate? Um, and it could be a scoring methodology or it could be something that an active manager looks for. Um, and here, really, there's a wide range of options for, for that, that the investment industry is currently looking at, from looking at um, kind of rating providers, from looking at companies in absolute ways that compared to a global universe or in relative ways that compared to their sector or geography and so forth. So really, while the universe is very broad, starting to ask those questions and then identifying, you know, what my preferences are and then am I in the right solution or can I customize the portfolio to meet my specific objectives on sustainability in addition to my investment objectives will probably help um, reduce maybe some of the noise around what is sustainability and, and, and turn the question on to what is sustainability to me and what is relevant to my investment portfolio. So staying with the topic of different ways of looking at sustainability, one topic that is constantly evolving is the G or governance of ESG. So Michelle, what do SI investors look for when they examine governance of companies? Well, the G pillar or governance is the one that has been around the longest, but you're right, it is continually evolving. And as opposed to environmental and social issues where materiality typically varies by sector, there's less variation in sector for governance. Let me broadly outline the different areas of governance that we would look at. And let me first state that often governance is only looked at from the perspective of a shareholder. Good governance can look uh, sometimes different from the perspective of the debt holder. So one of the big areas is board composition. The board are there to protect the rights of shareholders. So who is on that board is critically important. And that includes such things as board independence. Are there enough members without direct links to the CEO, the controlling family or the government? Um, and that you feel that the board oversight will be done in the best interests of all shareholders. Uh, another aspect of board composition is related to uh, the combined CEO chair. Again, you want that independent oversight at the top. Also an entrenched board. Even if the directors were independent at one point, if they serve for many, many years, they lose that independent perspective. We also look at board diversity. Research shows that companies with more diverse boards outperform. And we look at diversity of skill, gender diversity, and ethnic and racial diversity. Then, in addition to board composition, there's the systems that are in place to provide that oversight and how that oversight is actually carried out. And this includes things like executive compensation. How you incent an executive team and what you measure and pay for really influences how they behave. And we are always looking for pay packages that incent long-term shareholder value creation. Then there's the controls around things like accounting, tax transparency, corruption, anti-competitive practices and business, business ethics. How is the company managed and how is the company performing in these areas? Organizational culture also comes into it. Lastly, we look at rights. Uh, what rights do we have as a shareholder? For instance, one share, one vote, proxy access, and the right to call special meetings. Now, I mentioned a lot of these are for shareholders. For debt holders, there's a lot of overlap with the above. But in addition, you also want to look at the fair treatment of all stakeholders, the willingness of the company to test covenants that limit credit negative governance activities, and then there's the strong efficacy of a bankruptcy regime. Amanti, have anything here you'd like to add? <laughs> so, I mean, that was a, a, a very comprehensive answer. And the only thing I would add is that um, a lot of these elements that, that Michelle mentioned um, are relevant to those investors that do not have a sustainability specific focus or view. Um, they're, they're broad, good governance kind of elements that, that investors look at. 
And one thing that we are observing kind of evolve and, and increasingly uh, be paid attention to from those investors that have this specific focus on sustainability as well is how does the governance of a company reflect or take into consider into consideration the sustainability objectives of a company. So one example of this would be um, if you're focused on climate resilience and believe that that's financially material to the company, then looking at whether um, those uh, pay packages, um, as, as Michelle mentioned, are, are also incentivizing for management of this kind of uh, climate resilience, climate preparedness, or climate transition issue could be one thing that would fall under the governance topic. So would looking more broadly, if there's a board level kind of oversight of how a company is progressing on, on any of the sustainability objectives and metrics from down from excess climate, but this could apply to company objectives on improving diversity. Uh, again, if that is relevant to its performance. And now, one more thing to add here is that, that it's just beginning. We're at the early stages of this, but we think potentially um, may come even kind of more into the limelight is this question of corporate lobbying, in particular, from the perspective of corporate governance, understanding um, if there's one transparency on the lobbying that companies are engaging in, in particular in those jurisdictions where this is a common practice, and two, if that lobbying is consistent with its other objectives. Now, again, from the example uh, of a sustainability-focused investor, uh, what we would expect to see is additional attention paid to how a company is uh, making statements around its objectives to reduce its carbon footprint and move towards net zero on a specific timeline, and whether that is consistent in how it's engaging with regulators around climate policy. So this, this idea of responsible climate lobbying, in fact, is one that is starting to get some traction with a network of um, 10 asset managers and asset owners uh, who have gotten together uh, with the UNPRI and have started to um, come up with a, with a set of indicators to help uh, investors understand and evaluate the corporate political engagement on this on this idea of climate change and lobbying. And and I bring this just as one example of an area that is nascent, um, but possibly one that, that is likely to get more attention and traction in the future. Thank you, Amantia. So switching gears a bit, Amantia, another topic that you highlighted in the latest SI Perspectives publication was investing in biodiversity. And since we just had the International Day for Biodiversity, and it was also a topic discussed at the Davos World Economic Forum meeting, it might be worth spending a few moments on today. So what is biodiversity, Amantia, and why is it relevant to investors? Yeah, thanks, Dan. And truly, we are switching gears here a little bit. Uh, but in some ways, we're not, because all of these questions are very much interconnected uh, for us as investors as we're thinking about longer-term opportunities as well as risks that face uh, companies. Um, so, so, yes, to your point, uh, May 22nd was the International Day for Biodiversity, one that, that went by relatively quietly, I'd say, and um, then was soon followed after uh, with the... the the UN World for the Environment on June 5th. Um, and really the objective of all of these kind of target days are really just a way to, to give us a proxy, to give us a moment to focus our minds on these specific issues. And biodiversity is just one subcomponent of thinking about broadly that E of ESG, the environmental topic. And it's related to climate, but it's also distinct from climate. We think of biodiversity um, really as a, as, a, as a diversity of uh, the, the, the natural diversity of species and ecosystems. 
And we believe, and the science indicates, that biodiversity is important and connected to human development and to economic development, which is why uh, we we think it's important from an investment perspective in particular. one of the things that we've observed is that changing climate patterns can negatively impact biodiversity, uh, whereas you can think of it in the flip side, you know, uh, positive, kind of rich biodiversity, well-developed ecosystems, nature-based solutions are among the ways to both adapt and mitigate climate change. To bring it a little bit more to life and kind of why is this important, uh, to economic development, uh, beyond their appreciation of nature. Well, you, you know, one, one estimate indicates that the value of global trade in plants that are used for medicinal, uh, purposes may exceed, uh, two and a half billion dollars. Food production is another thing that relies on, on biodiversity and also on the flip side. Food production is one that risks and is driving towards biodiversity loss. Um, and in fact, according to the UN, uh, the global food system is one of the main drivers of biodiversity loss because if we look at the use of pesticides to increase production, the production of monocultures, uh, and then the clearing of habitats for grazing and, and feeding crops, it, this is all resulting in the degradation of ecosystems. And all of these are areas that are related to one another. Um, and so we need to think of, well, firstly, and if what are these risks and how do they come back to portfolios? And often the pathway is through um, ultimately making it more challenging for us to, to resolve in the future and to create the food um, systems that we need to feed the growing global population or by the acceleration of climate patterns um, that, that we're currently seeing. So broadly, as we think of this issue and why it's important to think, you know, that it also has a, has a subside to it. Um, we see interesting thematic type investment opportunities and in those solutions that can help either um, improve the diversity of, of natural species or can, can help, um, I guess, uh, augment or, or guard its, against its loss. And some of these examples are around the theme of food or the food revolution uh, in particular, where we're seeing a lot of opportunities, but also tied to water and water use and water scarcity, or more broadly zooming out to this idea of the clean air and carbon reduction, because all of these topics around the environment, we, we divide them up analytically to identify opportunities, but other, otherwise they're, they're very much systematic and, and uh, connected to each other. So, Michelle, curious to hear your thoughts. Is this a topic that you consider from your vantage point? What are some business activities or types of companies that are impacted by and impacting biodiversity loss or gain and even deforestation? Yeah, you know, we have invested a significant amount of time specifically on deforestation, which is closely linked to biodiversity. Our responsible investing team uh, collaborated with a group of investors on research to identify the industry clusters and the types of companies with deforestation risk and how that risk manifests reputationally, operationally, or from regulatory or policy change. We've actually developed a risk framework and a three-by-three matrix um, that we use to assess, first of all, the level of exposure uh, or risk that a company has to deforestation, either direct or indirectly through its supply chain, and the level of readiness that a company has to manage that exposure. And there are really about seven categories or clusters of companies where deforestation risk is prevalent. The first is agribusinesses, like animal proteins, pulp and paper, or crops, like soy, cocoa, coffee, and palm oil. The second is consumer brands that use those agricultural commodities in their products or in their packaging. 
The third is mining or oil and gas exploration that can trigger deforestation. The fourth is infrastructure development that can eliminate forests like roads, rail, hydropower. The fifth is financial companies, actually, and they could finance deforestation risk businesses. The sixth are companies that could emit or leak pollution or hazardous materials, which contributes to deforestation. And the last are companies that could be a source of wildfires. So our investment teams have also done a lot of work on particular areas of deforestation. For instance, two of our emerging market equity and debt analysts partnered with both the Emerging Market, um, emerging market Investors Alliance and NGOs to encourage beef protein producers in Brazil to focus on the sustainability of their supply chain. One of the leading causes of the destruction of the Amazon forest is the cutting or burning it down for either cattle ranching or agricultural production, primarily of soy. Brazil's protein companies are big and global, but they don't actually raise the cattle themselves. They ultimately buy from ranchers. They go direct to the bigger, more reputable uh, ranchers, but a lot of the supply comes indirectly from smaller ranchers selling to wholesalers, and often there's many layers in that supply chain. And historically, it's been very non-transparent as to exactly where you were getting your cattle from. And this is how everyone needs to work together. The NGOs, like the Emerging Market Investors Alliance, um, to get alignment from multiple investors with the companies, to ask them to adopt better practices, and to explain what we want and why this has a financial impact on the way we view these companies, and with governments to encourage them to back this up with regulation. And following on from that, biodiversity is one of AB's key strategic environmental priorities over the next few months. Given the success that we've had integrating climate change into our investment process, we're going to follow the model that we've developed with our partners at the Columbia Climate School, research, our responsible investing team and our investors, and Columbia, educate internally and then educate externally. Well, Michelle Amatia, thank you both for dropping by UBS Conversations for the Sustainable Investing Perspectives podcast. Greatly appreciate all of the insights and all of the ground you've covered for our listeners, our clients, and looking forward to reconnecting with you both again soon. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you, Dan. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.